0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Sleep, rest, relaxation, vacation, retreat are all words that speak of slowing down in life, right? They speak of this idea of getting away from the busyness of life. In fact, this last week, uh, all of our kids had a couple days where they got to be at home uh, because of snow. And I know some of them had four out of the five days off due to a scheduled uh, uh, winter break the first half of the week. And I'm sure that our teenagers, every morning that they had a snow day, they got up nice and early and went and got as much fun things out of the way because they had two days off of school. Actually, they probably didn't. They probably slept the morning off um, and things that way. But the idea of rest and relaxation, we we think of it all the time. Our busyness varies in type and frequency, but all of us here this morning are busy. We have busy lives. It might look different. Uh, Those who are retired are probably busier than those who work. Uh, based on some of the individuals that I are retired that I'm talking to, I talk to on a regular basis, like Carl, um, seems like he's just as busy as when he worked. Uh, but you know, it, it, there's just a busyness to life. And all of this, when we think about the idea of rest, and, and God does want our bodies. He's designed our bodies to relax and to rest and to need to rejuvenate, to to re to uh, I'm not going to reinvent is the wrong word. I don't know why that word came to my mind. Hopefully, we're not reinventing ourselves every night. Uh, But uh, that that energy is restored for the next day. Well, spiritually, that's not an option. Biblically, God in His Word shows us, and we're going to see from the life of Paul this morning that resting is not an option when it comes to our spiritual lives. Resting is not an option. It's not an option to just take a break spiritually. Paul in chapter 3 begins to share a personal testimony. If you if you're, you're turn there in chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 12. We'll be referencing the whole chapter as it's very wound together. But chapter 3, I'm just going to read our main text for this morning, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect, But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul in chapter 3, as he's shifting from chapter 2, he begins to give a personal testimony about his own spiritual life. He begins to describe his, his past life. If you look at the first part of chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 3, it says, "...for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, and he goes on and lists in the next couple of verses his past, and he describes what he was like before salvation. He's saying, if I had confidence in the flesh, here's here's what I was like, and he gives a list of how accomplished he was. Really, he was an educated man. He he lived according to, in verse six. It says. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he was found blameless. He was found blameless based on the law. He, he obeyed and followed the law. And so Paul is saying, this is what my past life was. And it's neat, he goes into then verse 7 and says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him and having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he jumps into the text that are, is our primary text, not that I have already obtained it. He goes from talking about what he was, and it, it, if you were going to say confidence in the flesh, he's saying, listen, I would have, I would have more than anybody, I, would have, I, am, I have called reason to be, have confidence in my flesh. He says, but I count all of that any accomplishment, anything in my life as loss so that I may gain Christ. He's talking about spiritual maturity. He's talking about spiritual growth in his life. He's talking about knowing Christ. And so he's declaring here that nothing compares to the surpassing value or the immense value of knowing Christ. Folks, this morning there is nothing more valuable than knowing Christ. even through the suffering and the loss that was going on in, in, in Paul's life. When Paul was writing this, you know where he was? He wasn't in his own comfortable home. He was in prison writing this letter to the church in Philippi. He's saying, all of this, I, I count everything but loss so that I may gain Christ. It is of the highest value. See, living as a disciple of Christ involves participating in his sufferings. And Paul understood that chapter th- in verse 10 of chapter 3 here. He understood that the power of the res- his resurrection was that life-altering power that gave him the ability to live in Christ, to live spiritually, to grow spiritually, to know Christ. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is that same power that sustains the Christian on a daily basis. And we know that no one has the same kind of power as God does. Paul even describes this idea, this power of God again over in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 where he says the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. As Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, there was false teaching that was going on in, the, in, in Philippi. And some of it was this idea that you could reach perfectness or spiritually. That you could come to a level of spiritual maturity, complete spiritual maturity, that you could be perfect. You say, well, we don't have that problem today. None of us really think that we can achieve spiritual perfectness. I would say that We, in many ways, actually live that way, though. We live to try to reach a level of spiritual perfectness. And you can't reach spiritual perfectness. Not to be discouraging to you today, but you can't. We won't reach it until we see at the end of chapter 3, Paul is talking about how we are, one day, Christ is going to return. How many of you are looking forward to that time? I am. One TV preaching personality said this, the world's shortages have no effect on someone who has already gone to heaven. Therefore, they should have no effect on us here who have made Jesus Lord of our lives. <laughs> there is thinking out there that we even today that you can reach this level of, of perfectness. But with the pressures of the surrounding pagan culture around us, and even in the time of Paul, they distinguish the enthusiasm and the determination of Christians to press on to maturity in their obedience to the call of God. And, and Paul is, is, has gone through the first 10 verses and talking about how he so desires to have this level of spiritual maturity in his life. This idea of, and, and see his own personal sanctification grow. And, his, and become and progress and becoming more like Christ and not just becoming like Him but literally having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Unless the people that he was writing to get confused, look at what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it. He's saying, not that I haven't I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. Jump down to verse 15, and from verse 15 we have really our main thought, our main truth this morning. I think it's very key. This verse is key in this passage. Paul says, Let us therefore, pointing back to what he has just been talking about, as many as are perfect, with the idea of mature, have this attitude. In other words, this attitude that he just got done talking about, we need to have it. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. The word attitude there is uh, the Greek word for the word thinking. It's not the idea necessarily of what we think of when we think of attitude. Okay? It's the idea of our thoughts. And Paul is saying... Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, as are seeking spiritual maturity, as are desiring to be perfect. We need to think this way. And what is this way? The surpassing value of knowing Christ intimately. So our main truth this morning is that the Christian must think, have proper thinking Must think properly about the race they are running by God's grace. The Christian must think properly about the race they are running by God's grace. So, how do we think properly about this? How do we allow this thinking to dominate our lives? Well, first of all, we need to realize the Christian has not yet finished their race. You and I have not finished our race. Look in verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I laid hold of I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul desired every Christian to grow in spiritual maturity he's looking at the Philippian believers, the church in Philippi, and he's saying, here's here's what God has done in my life. He laid hold of me. The phrase there in verse 12, the end of verse 12, the idea of lay hold is really this idea of grasping. It's the idea of seizing. Paul is saying, God, Christ, seized me on that road to Damascus. He grabbed a hold of me And we know from all the places in Scripture does Christ ever let go. No. Paul wants to reassure the Christians in Philippi that though he counted all loss for Christ, he did not claim spiritual perfectness, but rather growing maturity. I think sometimes we have a tendency to act like we have reached spiritual maturity. I've got this all figured out. I don't need any help here. The false thinking that encouraged others to have this idea that they can reach this level of completeness spiritually this side of eternity was false. He was gaining, Paul really is saying he's gaining distance in this race, he's, he's, he's progressing forward. He's progressing forward and, and, and we're going to see what that what he is pressing forward to. He says, what I press on in order that what I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He wanted Christ. He wanted Christ. Christ. He pressed on. He pursued. That idea of, of press there is this idea of pursuing with pain. It's this idea of straining forward. And it's pushing forward with all that you have. Paul is expressing that he wants to know the risen Christ because of how Christ had gripped him by his grace. I like how one commentator put it. He said, Paul's whole pursuit of Christ was Christ-originated, Christ-motivated, and Christ-propelled. This morning, what's propelling you? See, we can see spiritual maturity in many ways can be what we are going after, but the problem is if spiritual maturity is what we're going after without the person that brings spiritual maturity you're not going to reach spiritual maturity. Paul's sole focus, as we're going to see, was Christ. Just look up in verse 10, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. And before that, he says, that I count all things but loss. Because he understood that there is a surpassing value to knowing Christ intimately. Intimately. Paul here is using the present tense it's saying this is an ongoing thing in his life that he desires to be grasping and this, uh, this desiring to grasp a hold of Christ, this strenuous pursuit. He didn't want to stop. He was determined. Even in spite of all of his imperfections and his limitations in his life, he didn't let those hold him back. He wanted to know Christ. He understood that his race had not yet been finished. In fact, Paul even alludes to this in chapter 1 of Philippians. Turn over to chapter 1. Look in verse 20, starting in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul was going through this idea of he wanted to be with Christ, but he understood that his race was not done yet, he wasn't done running. And through the inspiration of God's word, he's telling us here in verse 12, he says, so I'm laying a hold, I'm grabbing these things, and then he comes to verse 13. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself. Again, there's the idea of reasoning, consideration. It's really this idea of self-evaluation. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So he's like, listen, I, I'm looking at my life and I realize I have not grasped Christ like I, I, I should I haven't gotten a hold of knowing Christ like I should. I haven't reached spiritual maturity. My journey as a Christian has not ended yet. And he says here, with this this amazing conjunction, the word but. He says, but one thing I do we as Christians tend to be so scatterbrained in our lives. I mean, I, it is amazing how much when, when we were studying God's Word and things, even yesterday, it was I studied in the morning, then Liz and I went out and saw a few houses yesterday afternoon. And as we're assessing all of our, uh, where we are and, and the cost of houses and all this stuff, I came home after studying this in my flesh, and, and just the, the influence of, of sin in the world. It was like, Aaron, get discouraged. <laughs> our minds get so scatterbrained. And I remember fighting all the way. So we were having someone come and watch our, our kids, and the babysitter showed up a little bit late because of something that was out of her control. But she showed up a little bit late, and I'm frustrated because Liz can't go with me to the first house. And I'm all frustrated and and I'm walking out to the car and I'm sitting in the car, I'm driving to the first car and I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not doing one thing. I'm not focusing on Christ. (laughs) Christ isn't that one thing. A silly house is. Because in the light of eternity, that house is kind of silly, right? Because I can have a relationship with Christ. I can grow spiritually. I can have all of that. Without that house. Without seeing the house. And Paul is writing and says, One thing I do. Well, what does he do? It's a two parter here. First of all, he forgets what lies behind, he forgets what lies behind. And he reaches forward to what lies ahead. See, a good runner knows not to look over their shoulder to see where their competition is. I don't know how many of you in the auditorium ever ran competitively or or whatever. But on August 7th, 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada, the greatest mile-run matchup ever took place. It was touted as the miracle mile between Roger Bannister and John Landy. I don't know how many of you have maybe this maybe you've heard this story before. But they were the fastest two mile runners in the world. Both runners were in peak condition. And Roger Bannister was a was master of an an at an Oxford College. He strategized that he would relax during the third lap, so he comes up with this strategy, and then save everything for the finishing drive. Bannister was the first person to run a sub-four minute mile, which blows my mind. (laughs) I'm lucky to break nine. But as they started out running, Bannister held back. And when he realized it was the time to start putting it forward, he started running faster. He was keeping in pace, keeping in touch with Landy, but he realized that unless... Landy somehow slows down. He was probably going to lose. And shortly, right as they were making the turn for the the home stretch, Landy did something that every runner knows not to do. Because of the noise in the stadium, he couldn't hear the footsteps of Bannister. And he took a short, very brief look behind over his shoulder, and at that moment, Bannister kicked it into gear and won by five yards. John Landy's laps lost him the race. And Paul, being sports knowledgeable, would have seen Landy's mistake in a flash because he knew that to be successful, a runner cannot look back over their shoulder. For us as Christians, we can't be looking back over our shoulders. So you, you may ask the question, well, what does it mean that Paul is telling them to forget the past? Do we literally try to like erase our memory? <laughs> no, we don't erase our memory. Because what has Paul just done at the beginning of this chapter? He just listed out what? A bunch of stuff from his past, right? What Paul is talking about is we cannot, when he says forget the past, forget what lies behind. It's taking and not letting what has taken place in the past dictate how you run presently and toward the future. That our past does not dictate the present. And often as I was growing up, a lot of times when I'd hear this passage preached, it was always, Focused a lot on on the negative stuff, right? Paul isn't talking about just negative things here, sinful things here. He's talking about the good things, too. He's talking about the good things. And by God's grace, God has allowed me to be a part of a lot of different opportunities of ministry. But that doesn't mean anything for the present and for the future. I can't take the time to look back over my shoulder and rest on all the the things that I've done for Christ. Because if I'm resting on the things I've done for Christ in the past, how am I going to go forward? What are some dangers of that? There's dangers of selfishness, pride, complacency. I'm good. Look at all these things I've done. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm doing okay. What's the danger of looking at all the mistakes we've made, all the sin that has been in our past? How many of us here, don't, you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of us here have regrets? If you focus on those regrets, you can't go forward. Paul had regrets. How many of us have gone around persecuting and killing people? Paul had regrets. How can I be a good Christian when everyone in this area knows that I was killing people? How can I preach the gospel? But what does he say in verse 13? One thing I do. I forget those things. Yes, I learned from them. And yes, God may use them in my life to, to be an encouragement to somebody else, but, when you're, but think about this, when you're sharing those things and for, the, for the truth of spiritual maturity, really, are you really focusing on the past? No, you're focusing on that one thing, Christ. Paul multiple times uses his testimony to point to that one thing. Christ, forgetting the things that are behind and literally reaching, the word there is literally straining. What do runners do when they get near their goal, the the finish line? Do they just like, okay, oh shoot, I can stop now. No, they literally are straining as much as they can. And if you search YouTube, you can actually find people literally diving, launching themselves across the finish line. See, in the Christian race, in the Christian life, that, that finish line isn't until the Lord takes us home or he returns. All too often we are shackled by our past, especially our regrets. But Paul chose not to look back because he didn't want to diminish the focus on what Christ wanted, on that relationship with Jesus Christ. On intimately knowing Jesus Christ. So we must keep on running, verse 14. We must keep on running. Because as we know, looking back, looking back is going to hurt us. When I was in high school, we went on a senior trip I was walking out of a building with some of my friends and I turned to talk to my friend behind me. You know how a lot of those buildings in Colonial Williamsburg and, and D.C., they have what out in front of the buildings? They have big cement pots or pillars, right, that are about waist high or just below the waist. And I turned around to talk to one of my friends walking at a fairly decent clip and I did not see the pole in front of me. And my classmates got a really good laugh out of it. And I got a nice bruise on my leg. But why did I run into that pole? Because I wanted to look behind me. Well, Paul is saying, stop looking behind you. Just keep on running. Keep on running. So as we are reaching forward, straining forward to what lies ahead, he says, I press on. There's that idea of pursuing again. Same word. I pursue. It's, 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 it's an active word that it's with all we have, we are pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If I mention the name Eric Little, many of you are familiar with Eric Little. He was running in a race and he got caught up. And this is back in 1923. Got caught up and fell. But yet he got back up and he pushed and he ended up passing them and winning the race. He didn't stay down. He didn't stay down. And there are things in around you in your life that are going to try to stop you from running. They're going to try to discourage you from running the race. Distract you from running the race. Many of us in here have probably either read parts of, all of, or some sort of thing with Pilgrim's Progress. Christian had what? Many distractions on his way, on his journey. We all are going to have distractions. But realize we have to have proper thinking about Christian maturity in our lives, about the race that we are running by God's grace. And the Christian has not yet finished the race, but we must keep on running the race. We press on. We keep fighting. We keep pressing. Even when your legs feel like jelly. You feel like you've got 75 pounds on your back. It doesn't feel like you can get any further. Keep on running. Keep on running. Keep on running. Really, there's two extremes that we need to be careful of here. One is this idea of I, I have to do it all, that we have to keep running in the race on our own. Paul's not saying that. But we run because of what? Because of what Christ has done for us. It's, it is what Christ, what did he say? He wanted to lay hold of what Christ had laid hold of him for. What is that? That is salvation. That is, that is eternal salvation Eternal life. What Christ did in Paul was a motivator to keep on running. It was a motivator for Paul to keep on running. He understood that, yes, he couldn't do it all. As he showed. we see in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, what? it's The Spirit of God is what? It's making us new from glory to glory. It's transforming us. Day after day after day, the Spirit of God helps to change us. But we also have our own responsibility in this journey, in this race. And we have to choose to obey God. We have to choose to want God. We have to choose to be of one thing, of a single focus. To count all things but loss so that we may gain Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. The wonderful thing about this race is that God hasn't left us to ourselves. And this goal of this upward call, we need to keep pressing on, straining and keep straining forward have this mindset that is driven by this one thing we see again i read it already in philippians 121 paul gives us a spoiler to this really part of the letter right for me to live is christ and to die is gain one thing one focus When we think about spiritual maturity in our lives and we think about running this race, realize that one, you have not yet finished the race. Which means keep on running the race. Don't stop. Again, what is the the goal of this race? It is that upward call of God. It's, It's the fact that Christ saved you. It's to be to be with Christ is to have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You know that mature people don't think that they've arrived? <laughs> mature people don't think that they've arrived. Those who are mature forget what is behind. They pour their energies into the pursuit of Christ. As you and I are growing in spiritual maturity, we are going to have a stronger desire for Christ. And you know what's neat is the more you have Christ, the, more you're clo- the closer you get to Christ, the more you want of Christ. And the more you want of Christ, the more Christ flows out of you. And the neat thing is, is those things in the past don't even come to your mind. Because <laughs> why? Why? Christ is right there. The one thing. See, we can never ease up or stop running. Hebrews twelve one and two says: Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter, completer of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. A race. This race that we are in as Christians, this this journey to, to, to know Christ, we are to run it with endurance and not allow things to entangle us. My professor in college said this, Don't take your eyes off of Christ because of persecution, internal dissension, or the existence of minor differences of opinion. None of us yet attain the goal. Keep striving. We need to keep striving. We haven't reached the goal. But one day, we will finish the race. One day we will finish the race. So what about you? As we think of our this race, we think of even going back to Eric Little. He ran most of many of you probably know, but for those who don't, Eric Little was also a missionary in China. And when he got done running, and he eventually went over back over to China, where he continued to serve. And in 1945, Eric Little died of a brain tumor. That may have been caused by his malnourishment and overwork as he worked hard over there. But one commentator said this he said he could only imagine on his tombstone he died running. What about you? Could that be written about your spiritual life if you were to die today? He died or she died running. Along the same lines, when we think of responsibilities we have in knowing Christ, and and as we know Christ more, we will share Christ. How many unsaved individuals do you have a relationship with where they would want to be at your funeral? Are you making a difference? It's part of running the race. Paul's passion was Christ. One thing, one thing. It was Christ, and he declared it to the Philippian believers. Does that same passion, passionate pursuit, grip you this morning? Or is there, or as you look at your life, you're like, you know, I'm really there's areas in my life where I'm not gripped. I'm not passionate about really letting Christ be that one thing. See, the results of a singular focus, driven and straining to know Christ more intimately, manifest in consistent ministry for the sake of the gospel. It results in a deeper love for those around you, saved and unsaved. It results in looking at, at the church as the focal point of life and not ancillary. It views church ministry as people, not a duty or inconvenience when things aren't just right. It results in seeking to pour your life into ministering to others, not for a moment, but for the rest of your life. It results in opening yourself up to sharing your spiritual burdens and challenges that God is doing in your life by His grace and trying to draw you closer to Himself. It results in living a life of communion with God, not only a few days a week, but every day. It results in soaking up what God has to say to you from His inerrant Word, preserved to you, whether it be your personal devotions or, or whatever you maybe you listen to sermons during the week or, on Sundays specifically, even the preaching and teaching of God's Word. It manifests itself in selfless living, for God and others. It lives walking worthy of the gospel. It lives excited to talk about the gospel with anyone. It lives excited to serve because by serving it helps to understand more about our great savior and the more you serve God the more you know God. God Jesus Christ was a servant. In church we all too often get so distracted. And our priorities get so out of whack. And Christ is not the one thing. It's not the one thing. Our church needs to have this culture that is always growing, that is always more and more about Christ. And less and less about ourselves and our conveniences and our needs and our past and our future. It is all about Christ and Christ alone. Even in the songs we sang this morning, we sang about our blessed assurance that we have in Christ. We sang about how we are in his army. And Paul even uses that analogy in Scripture, right? Don't step out of line. Keep on stepping in step with Christ. Standing on the very promises of God. How bad do you want to be more mature spiritually? Because spiritual maturity equals a growing relationship with Christ. You can read and pray and come to church but if you're really not letting Christ be a part of your life and you're not seeking and pursuing and straining after him and you're like you know I'm just tired spiritually I need a break the moment you try to take that break spiritually Satan and his influences in your flesh are going to grab a hold of you and who knows what's going to happen how many of you have ever heard of a camp decision those of you who may not have heard of it, it's individuals who go to Christian camp, and I grew up at it and I love Christian camp. But all too often, kids come home, adults come home, they're fired up, but they, aren't, they don't keep Christ as the one thing in their life and they fall away from what they, the decision they made. And you know why that is? It's because Christ did not permanent, they did not make Christ that one thing consistently and they didn't dive into it and pursue they stepped back it got tiring it got strenuous it got hard because now you're not in an environment of a bunch of christian people for a week folks that's what the church is supposed to be for all of us that's why christ should be the focus so that we are helping each other across the auditorium from front to back, side to side, where we are picking one another up and helping say, no, stay the course. Keep running. Maybe you have to come up and literally grab them by the shirt and drag them for a little bit. Tell them, move your legs. Keep moving. You're not stopping. We need to have a proper thinking. The Christian must think properly about the race they're running by God's grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this text of Scripture this morning. I know You have challenged me this week. worked in my heart. And Lord, I pray that this morning that it be working in all of our hearts, that you are the one thing that is predominant, that is dominating our thoughts, whereby we'll dominate our actions. Lord, I pray that this morning and going forward that we would be a church characterized. by straining forward that we would not stop running because we know that one day Christ will return and we will cross that finish line and we will be face to face with our great Savior. Help us to run faithfully. In your name we pray. Amen.